Oh, it is so nice to look out and see your faces this morning. Those of you who are joining us online, I just want you to know that it's, there's not that many people that can come still, but boy, it feels good with who's here. I love it. Well, Easter feels like a long time ago already, doesn't it? It's hard to believe it was just last week. I think that part of what the pandemic has done to us is make us, this world that we're living in, feel a little bit faster all of a sudden. Like things slowed to almost a halt a year ago. And even though our lives are not back to, net, to normal, I at least feel things ramping back up. Like whether you're working from home or whether you're uh, back at your office or working part-time remotely, we have this whole new way of communicating on Zoom and on conference calls and it's really easy suddenly to overschedule ourselves. I've noticed that I would have never scheduled back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back meetings because when you, tra when you uh, factor in travel time or um, just needing to walk down to somebody else's office or take a lunch break, it's just not feasible to have as many meetings as we do now because on Zoom calls we can just say, oh, okay, well, I gotta jump off this call and jump onto another one and we just go back to back to back like that. So I feel like there's this, there's this uh, kind of, not frenzy, but busyness to our lives. We just are on one thing to another with the, the click of a button. There's no welcoming people to our offices anymore. There's no inviting somebody to a cup of coffee before we sit down to meet or checking in those sort of niceties that you used to have for the first five minutes before a meeting. And what I'm realizing is that those are not just niceties. Those are critical places in our lives where transition matters. Because acknowledging a change in our environment or a change in our circumstances is really important. So I want to invite us to go back to Easter for a minute. I want us to go back into that upper room with the disciples and just linger there a little bit longer this morning because I think there's something really important for us to learn from that in-between time of the upper room. I call it the in-between time because even though the disciples knew that Jesus had been resurrected, Mary had told them they had run to the tomb themselves and seen the linen strips lying where Jesus' body had been in the tomb. But though they knew something had happened, they hadn't yet seen Jesus. And so there was this kind of uncertain space that they were living in. On Easter Sunday, if you saw Roberts and my roundtable sermon discussion during our Easter presentation, you might recall that I said before they knew what had happened, what had happened, the empty tomb itself offered a little glimmer of hope that Jesus might be alive. It was kind of this wait what moment where we say, like, Wait, let me just get this straight, right? What just happened? What is going on? And I know you know that feeling because sometimes even as you're asking the question about something, you feel a little bit of hope about a thing rising. 
So I call the empty tomb that wait what moment. They knew something had happened. There was a glimmer of hope, but things had not really been fleshed out yet. There was still some splaining to do, as Ricky Ricardo used to say. So the disciples were in the upper room, looking at each other with that wait what hope. And at the same time, all of this uncertainty is swirling around them and making them feel very, very afraid. Because if Jesus could be crucified for what he taught and what he did and how he encouraged people to live according to God, and they were his disciples, then surely they thought the same thing could happen to us. So I want you to see yourselves in that upper room with them. In fact, I want us to envision any number of upper rooms in our lives where we have sequestered ourselves in fear of the uncertainty and the chaos swirling around us. What do you do the day after your whole world changes? What do you do the day after you retire or quit your job? The day after you get married? The day after you graduate? After someone you love has finally succumbed to a long and arduous illness? What do you do the day after a diagnosis? The day after an event, a catastrophic event like 9-11 or Pearl Harbor? What do you do between the now and the not yet? These are moments of disorientation where we're still standing by God's grace, but we don't yet know what the world will look like for us going forward. There's a name for that space where we're caught betwixt and between. It's called liminal space. Liminal space is where you no longer hold the same status that you had before, but you haven't yet fully realized the new status. It might look a lot like a bride and groom waiting at the back of the church before the ceremony begins. A graduate who has completed all the necessary exams and assignments and ordered the cap and gown, but now has to wait for the ceremony to begin. By the way, God love all of our seniors in high school and college who had to wait an interminably long time to get that diploma this past year. The, the pandemic threw that ritual right out the window and made that liminal space even longer for them. But liminal space is also something like a bar mitzvah and a bat mitzvah or a, a quinceanera, those rites of passage that denote something big is changing. And so that in-between space is liminal. Twilight is liminal. So is dawn right before the sun breaks forth. Liminal space is a threshold where on one side we can perceive what was, but the other side is still imperceivable to us. We are in many ways living in liminal space right now in this pandemic. It is a collective liminality, just as the time for us as a nation was in the days and weeks after 9-11. And as are so many times in our history, 
where we've had cultural shifts that are happening. And what's required of us in those times of liminality, of the now and the not yet, is counterintuitive in many ways. Because we want to get on with the business of graduating, of being married, of starting the new job, of fixing things that are broken. We want to be there already when what we really need to do is be here in the discomfort and the disorientation. We need to be comfortable in the unknowing. Now, it's absolutely okay to feel all the feelings that accompany us in new situations and uncertain times. In fact, if we try to pretend that everything is normal, that we've got this, it can actually keep us stuck and prevent us from moving forward in a healthy way because resistance causes us more pain and more grief. You've probably heard it said that what we resist persists. So we are best served when we can get comfortable in the unknowing. That's where we're most vulnerable and most open for something genuinely new to happen. We are empty vessels and receptive. The old has passed, but the new has not yet revealed itself to us. Some people say that liminal space is where we're most teachable because it's often where we're most humbled. I think that humbled and in awe is exactly where the disciples found themselves the evening of that first resurrection, that first Easter. We don't know what was going through their minds, of course, or the conversation, what it might have been like for them in there, but I suspect that it was a lot like what we go through in times of transformation. Conversation is at a minimum. Self-reflection is heightened. There's a silence. People are taking stock, processing. There may be some pacing around the room at times, but moments of complete and utter change don't really lend themselves to a lot of chatter. They lend themselves to awe. There is a sacredness to those moments. The moment before you sign the divorce papers. The moment you're alone in the house for the first time after a loved one dies. The moment they hand you your baby for the very first time. These are sacred moments, even if what we really feel is out of control. Just because it's sacred doesn't mean that it won't be a little bit unnerving. When our world has been altered and transformation is palpable, vibrating with everything that was and with everything that has yet to be, that can be overwhelming. And it can be painful and heavy and horrible feeling. It's no surprise that people don't want to be in liminal space for very long, because who knew that silence and self-reflection and patience could be such hard work? As Richard Rohr says, though, much of the work of spirituality is to get people into liminal space and to keep them there long enough that they can learn something essential and new. It invites us to discover and live from broader perspectives, he says, and from a much deeper sense of seeing. 
And here's the good news. We know what the disciples didn't. We know that at any minute, Jesus is going to come walking through that door. We have the benefit of knowing how it went down that day, so let's use that to our benefit. We know Jesus walked through a closed door to get to those hurting, confused disciples whose world had just been upended. We know that Jesus came to them when they least expected it and offered them peace. We know he breathed the Holy Spirit onto them, giving them a new wisdom and a new mind and a new spirit. In their suffering, Jesus came to find them. That, my friends, is salvation. I think our Christian life is a continual death and resurrection with the liminal space built in for our own good. Salvation is really about knowing that God meets us in the disruption and change and hardship of life. God meets us even in just the simplest desire to change our circumstances. And in the midst of that, God says to us, peace. Pastor Nadia Boltz Weber describes it as God reaching into us and changing our hearts. She calls it a spiritual physics because something has to die in order for something else to live. And getting there requires that tender, reflective in-betweenness. If you are in a space of transition and transformation right now and it feels awkward and uncomfortable and scary and out of control, there are a few things you can do. There are a few things we can do to bring ourselves back into calm and peace. First of all, it helps to remind ourselves that uncertainty is always with us. We don't even know what, for certain, what's gonna happen in the next five minutes. We live with that kind of uncertainty every single day. It's just that in the bigger life events, the more the uncertainty, the more aware we are of that lack of control. And that's really what happens when we're in freak out mode. We've lost control. So it's good to remind ourselves when we're there that we never really had control to begin with. We just live our days trusting that all will be okay. So just keep trusting, you've got this. That's the first thing. The second thing we can do when we're feeling uncertain is to remember to do things that make us feel better. It might sound really simple and too easy, but we forget that we do have control over that. For me, if I'm feeling uneasy or uncertain or worried, I know that um, isolating at home, sitting on my computer, carbo-loading, does not really make me feel better. In fact, a lot of times it makes me feel worse. What makes me feel better is going about normal activities, getting outdoors, going to the grocery store even, having a visit with friends, exercising, drinking water, doing things that, that I know are good for me. All of that helps me to feel better and helps me to feel better able to be present in the now. And a really important thing that we can do when we're in that now but not yet space 
is to find moments of silence. I said earlier that I imagine the disciples weren't exactly chatty that day, and for good reason. You intuitively know when you need to go inward in search of inner wisdom and guidance. So take advantage of that. If you don't often take time to sit and pray, I encourage you to start trying to do that a little bit. And if meditation is not your thing, try getting out and walking in nature. The idea is just to clear your mind. Make space so that you're not jumping ahead to problem solving or dreaming about how things might be or how things used to be. Get comfortable sitting with the discomfort of uncertainty because it's from this place that answers will come. Jesus will walk in and meet you in that silence. Now, I also know that some of you have been living in that liminal space for a really, really long time. And if that's you, then know this. The God who saves also sustains. One of my mom's favorite sayings, and I'm sure you've heard it many times too, was this too shall pass. But I came across a great little book recently called This Too Shall Last. The author, K.J. Ramsey, describes her pain of learning to live with a chronic illness. And she's quick to point out that her book is not a before and after story. It's not about transitioning from one thing to another. It's about living in that in-between. She writes that early on, she just wanted to conquer the suffering, move through it and be pain-free. But instead, she writes about how she's learned to encounter God in the midst of excruciating circumstances. As Christians, we very often want to view our pain as some problem that God can fix rather than a place where God already exists. Let me repeat that again because I think it's important. Often, as Christians, we view our problems as something for God to fix rather than a place where God is already present. K.J. Ramsey, the author I just mentioned, calls this the idolatry of our comfort and ease. We view a life that is pain-free in body, mind, or spirit as the ultimate goal. We want to take easy street every time. God, release me from this suffering. Poor Thomas has been labeled for all time as the doubting Thomas. Jesus held out his arms and told him to touch him to place his hands on his side where the sword had pierced him. But I don't think Thomas was looking for proof that this was Jesus standing before him. I think Thomas was looking for proof of Jesus' suffering. Thomas's request to see Jesus' scars is so important because he needed to know that the Son of God shares in our human suffering that he understands our pain and he is present with us in every single second of it. In her book, Ramsey writes that it is in the suffering that the space between heaven and earth can become thin, paradoxically placing us closer to God's presence, power, and life. 
in the liminal space of that upper room, Jesus walked in not once, but twice, the second time just for Thomas's sake. He entered into that place of pain where heaven and earth become thin, and he made his power and presence known in Thomas's life. Gosh, I just think that is beautiful. Jesus said in Revelation 21, Behold, I am making all things new. All things. The kingdom of heaven is now and not yet. And our living in that tension, rather than panicking and crying out for relief from it, is where we find hope. Living in that tension is to embrace the sacredness of that thin space where God's power and presence is so near. So the last thing I want to say about that this morning is that after everything transpired in our scripture reading today, the fear, the locked doors, the appearances by Jesus, the scars, the touching, the shifts from what was to what is to what will be, after all of that, the text ends with these words. These things are written so that you might believe Jesus is the Messiah and that in believing, have life in his name. This is all for you, every bit of it. Everything Jesus did, all he taught, all he suffered, how he showed up again and again and again after the resurrection to make his presence known, it is all so that we might have life in his name. Amen to that. Let us pray.